All right, everybody, happy Tuesday and welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks where we are exploring the possibilities of learning tech while cutting through the fluff to answer the questions you need answered to make the right decisions when building your digital learning ecosystem. Today I'm joined by Jordan Fladell, I think I pronounced that right, CEO over at M-Level and we are talking about gamification and microlearning. So first of all, did I pronounce your last name right? I think, no? You did great. You did great, Chris. I will tell you that, you know, my name's always mispronounced a bunch. Uh, it's, I think my grandparents would have told you it's Fladell, but Fladell is also good enough. I've heard much worse. Okay. Okay. So I was in, at least in the same ballpark, right? <laughs> okay, good. Good. Well, hey, so, you know, we've had a couple conversations so far. Um, one thing that I, I'm always interested in when we first start talking about this is when people go off to the learning tech side, I think several guests have referred to it as the dark side. They've moved into the dark side of kind of the vendor space. I'm always curious the journey. Did you start there or what made you decide to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go be, you know, in charge of a learning technology company? Yeah, so I've always been in technology, Chris. I've always okay. been involved in technology, whether it's uh, I started my journey, my career personally in the in what I'll call the interactive agency space. It wasn't called that when I started with the web design shop, but evolved from uh, doing simple web design and interactive programs uh, with my, to become a full service interactive agency. Um, and then went into actually the tech side on the hosting side of the business, which exposed me to this thing at the early days back in, I won't say how far long ago, but long ago enough, where hosting was a, was a new solution, hosting things on the web, okay. and the, right? And then I learned about this thing called application software that could run on top of this great internet technology, what we now call SaaS solutions in the technology yeah. space. Right. And so from there, I kind of evolved into, um, you know, spending more time in tech, had a short consulting gig before I came into uh, become and become a part of M level. And really, it was around, you know, the technology piece that kind of got me there, another space where there was an opportunity to help um, or help people in large organizations essentially deliver solutions on technology without having to understand technology. I think that's one of the things that I love to talk about, which is, you know, technology can be that scary place where the dark side, as you call it, or the, or the black space where people get very afraid of it because technologists like to make things more complicated than they are. And so we, <laughs> we spend a lot of time at M-Level trying to what we call in my career of democratizing the delivery of technology. How do we ensure that whatever's built, whatever's deployed, whatever the customer is going to use, they can maintain on their own without having a significant burden or fear of that technology, right? And that's what kind of drives my passion. It always has, I always look for spaces where there's opportunities to democratize the delivery of it, whether it's building websites, intranets, social enterprises, or now in the space of learning technology. That's always been my passion around technology. And so it, that's where I got my journey started to get into the learning space. Okay. Got it. So it really was the tech side and then you, you got into more the learning side of technology versus you were in learning and then went to the learning tech. So our journeys are maybe a little bit similar, but different. Cool. Um, and actually, I'm going to go on a little bit of a sidebar based on something you said with that talking about right software as a service. I'm curious your perspective on this because I see it a fair amount where you get the debate of do we build it or do we buy it, right? And, and some organizations are are determined to say, well, I think we can build something similar versus going out and buying it. What's your perspective on, you know, what, what's the advantage to going with a SaaS solution versus trying to custom build something? Well, there's a, just a, there's a lot of advantages in SaaS because it gives you flexibility, right? So if you buy SaaS correctly and you have the right, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying having the right learning architecture, right? If you have the right learning architecture environment and stack, SaaS should give you the ability to pick 
what I'll call point solutions, for lack of a better term, and plug and play with them as you need them if you've built this the right way. If you think about marketing is the perfect example to look at for me when you talk about the tech stack. Marketing has figured out how to build a tech stack, some of it on the back of Salesforce and other companies, where they're able to pull point solutions in and enable and disenable them to reach their goals, and they do it rapidly. So when you look at what's the reason of buying and look at SaaS, you also have to take a step back and think about your culture. But I think one of the biggest values you can get is speed and flexibility, right? Um, when you build something on your own, there's a lot of value in that as well, but there's a lot of risk in there. Um, one of it is, is around what I'll call time to market. You know, how long does it take you to get the solution right. built? Like if, a, if a company shows up and they've got 80% of what you want out of the box and, that, it, or, and you say, I'm gonna buy my, I'm gonna build my own because I need to fill the other 20%, right? I need 100%. Well, to be clear, if you need the 100% and you get it in time enough to solve the problem. But a lot of companies yeah. the buy decision, right? Or the build decision should be all about time to delivery, right? And then the second factor is really long-term ownership, right? Is this something that we're willing to support own long-term, right? If you built your own, let's just look at the learning management system. Let's start with that. Yeah, there's a good example. So how many learning management systems are there out there? I don't know, hundreds? Countless. Countless, right? Too many, yep. Clutter galore in the market, right? But there are three 300-pound gorillas or whatever they are in the market, but they have built basically a mousetrap to help you manage the delivery of learning to the learning associate. Could you build your own learning management system? Yes. Should you build your learning management system? No. Why? <laughs> Why? Because somebody else has already invented like 90% of what you want, right? Now, yep. could you build your own whatever system, whether it's micro learning gamification? The answer to these questions are no, unless it is a highly targeted, high value opportunity that has the time, budget required to execute, and you have a long-term maintenance strategy, okay? And notice the key term there. If you build something yourself, right? So a lot, of, it. Right? a lot of these listeners who are on this podcast work at large companies. Unfortunately, the way corporate America works today or corporations work today, and I won't even say America, corporations across the globe, is a good majority of the staff that work in these IT departments and development shops are outsourced, right? So now it's not build versus buy. It's actually build versus buy versus outsource, right? Because basically, unless you have a gigantic IT shop, so, and again, maybe there's some listeners out here like, I've got you know, thousands of developers. We hire them all day long. They have nothing else to do, and they're here to build for me. Great. Go build whatever you want. Right. Um, yeah, fine. Go <laughs> But most you're, you're the point, you're the 0.03%. <laughs> congratulations, by the way, I think. I'm not even sure it's a win, but congratulations. Um, but let's say you're like a normal company, right? And so you, you get, you're awesome. You, you design it, you have a, a user experience team come in, they build what you want to do, you get it framed up, you go to fund it, you get funding for the project. And now the IT team says, I'm going to outsource the development to insert vendor here, right? Whatever the vendor is, Accenture, Deloitte, Slalom, whoever the vendor is, right? Someone's building yep. it. I don't know who's building it, but somebody's building this solution. When they're done, even if they do the best documentation, they're turning it back over to who? The company. Now, the company's giving it back to the IT department who's outsourced the building of it. So the, the, the IT developer doesn't even, didn't write the original source code, didn't understand the architecture, didn't, wasn't a part of the build. Okay, so let's say you get the application back. Now it breaks. Who fixes it? What's the SLA time? So you're going back. Right. You're, so now all of a sudden you've built this great product, but you're continuing to sink costs in it. So you have to think about, am I willing to spend money on this forever is the value here. And I always tell people, if you can, I think when you build something, it should be for highly targeted, highly specialized events and literally look at it as throwaway tech, right? Because I'm building it. I'm building it for the solution. It's a, um, I'm it's doing it. It's going to be obsolete. We're not going to. It's but, but no, it's, it's a major rollout of a new product release, and I want my I want my brand spot on. I want everything. I want it to be the best thing ever. I'm throwing it on Wall Street. I'm going to do all these things with it, right? Great, go build it. But in learning technology, in particular, 
I would build nothing ever on my own. The cost and the, the cost and where you sit in the stack of the corporate food chain makes it no to me never makes sense to build. Always makes sense to buy lease, and I call it lease by the way, because that's really what you're doing. When you think about a SaaS, right. you're leasing you're leasing the technology. You're leasing it, yep. And when you're done with the lease, just like if you were done with your car, like you know, if you're sitting here and I, I lease a car for three years, I don't have to buy that car. I can buy that car, right? I can continue. I can actually extend the lease out, right? But when I'm done, let's have to. Right. Uh, the best example about think about it is let's say you're a, a growing family, right? And now you've gone from two kids to three kids, right? And no longer does your two seater car go. Maybe it's three kids to four kids, whatever it is. And now you're looking up. But one of your kids in that group is a teenager who's close to getting the college years. Like you've, you've spread out your, your journey on having kids, right? Yeah. Okay. So do you buy yourself a big gigantic SUV, like a suburban or something like that, and own that forever? Or you know what? In three years, in three years. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go ahead and know that I'm losing a kid, not losing a kid, but my kids are in college. I'm right. Gonna, yep. I am going to wait. I don't want to have the burden of owning a suburban forever because I really like my small Acura MDX. Right. And yep. so it doesn't meet my needs. Again, it's just an example of how to think about it without thinking about the tech. Cause I think tech is scary. But if you think real wide, real world scenarios, you're leasing technology to serve a need that to me always seems like more sense than, and even as a vendor than, than building custom. But I also understand there's a place for custom as well. Yeah. Well, and that's right. In my experience, that's, I, I completely agree with you that I have yet to encounter some piece of learning tech where I really feel, especially with what's in the market now, where you go, we should really custom build this from the ground up because we can do it faster, less expensive and maintain it better than somebody else could for a subscription service. It just, I, I haven't seen it. So I guess if anybody's listening, it's like, oh, I have the perfect use case. I'd love to hear it. Because for me, it's just not something I've seen. And yeah, I think the other thing too, though, if you think about it, and I think this is a little bit of a mindset shift for learning and development. It's kind of this idea that, oh, when we buy this learning technology, we're going to, that's what we're going to use and have forever. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe not. Things could change. You might need to adapt. Your business might shift. You can't just assume that, you know, this is the holy grail of this piece of learning technology. So, I, I, yeah, that was a little bit of a sidebar from just gamification and micro learning. But despite the fact I talked to a lot of providers who follow the SaaS or, or PaaS model, that's a question that we haven't really tackled. So since you're on the tech side more, that's your background. I was interested in your take on it. Yeah, and I would also just second, second add to that. I think you, you hit it nail on the head, which is, also consider as a learning person, this is the first time where technology is evolving at a very rapid pace, right? So um, this is really transformational. If you've been in L&D community for a long time, you've, you've been relatively static on the tech, tech stack. Now you're not static and it's being fueled by innovation and it's also being fueled by venture capital. And when those two things are moving together, you don't want to own anything because how do you know, how do you know what to own? I mean, right. like, how do you know what, what I mean? Do I own the first AR system, the augmented reality, the first virtual reality, or do I do my own? I mean, do I, do I, what, what is, what, what is uh, adaptive? I mean, you got all these buzzwords, you know, that are out there in the market, artificial intelligence. How can you buy fast enough or build fast enough to keep up? It's almost like you, the, the, the space of, that's why I love the concept of build versus buy as in buy because, or lease, as I like to call it, because it allows you to have the flexibility as the world advances, you're not beholden to that solution. And again, if you've done the right learning architecture, literally you're unplugging single sign on unplugging your LMS integration and you are done. You're out the door. That vendor's gone and you've moved on to the next great shiny object and it cost you 
nothing. You got a ton of value. Well, hopefully you're not just moving on to a shiny object. Hopefully that's not what you're doing. But yes, I, I get what you're getting at. The point is, right? And that's the whole thing that is, it is a shift. We're looking at this more from an ecosystem standpoint of, hey, we don't just have an LMS anymore and that's it. And so we can buy it or build it because it's not really going to change that much. Even LMSs now. I mean, I've, I've been in situations where by the time you get to a purchase decision, you're looking at the thing you thought was the right thing and you go, the market's changed. Like, I don't even know that this is the, the right thing to do anymore. Right, Which goes exactly. back to, I think what people, so what's, and I'm curious from a tech standpoint, and I know we're totally nerding on the tech on this right now, which is probably fine, is what people ask me this question. And so I'll throw it back to you. How frequently do you think an L&D organization should be reevaluating their tech stack? Wow. Um, at a minimally, minimum threshold annually. Um, and I, when, I think about, when I think about that is it's not reviewing the tech stack at its core, it's reviewing what else is missing from our solution set that, we're, that we need to reach our, our end learner, right? And I think it's, it's different for me than reviewing the tech stack. Yeah. I would focus in on, do I have the right tools necessary to essentially reach my audience? And am I so dissatisfied with my anchor? And that's what I call the LMS. Um, that I need to reevaluate that. I actually I personally believe that with the LMS industry the way it is, that it's not that there's no value in replacing your LMS unless it doesn't fit your long-term architecture. Because you know, with the advent of all learning experience portals, like you had the greet on recently, I saw, and they're a phenomenal yeah. product, bolt on an LMS that basically gives you a powerful LMS solution without letting the LMS do its back-end work, which is really more for the LMS is not more about for the compliance officer. It's more, more about for tracking purposes. I would leave my LMS alone, but I would look up at the learning experience portal. I would look up at my gamification solution, my micro learning solution, my augmented reality, my virtual reality, my adaptive, my, I keep adding these words, right? And that's where I'd spend my time, right? That, that, that sphere outside the LMS, making sure that I have the right products to meet my, meet my needs. And every year I check in because I want to ensure, first of all, I'm partnering with a vendor that the roadmap is matching my goals and objectives, right? Things change, right? Yeah. Uh, nobody could change direction, right? All of a sudden, M-Level could decide we're no longer going to offer, not doing this, by the way, listeners, we no longer offer gamification. Well, that means every customer who bought us for gamification now is, should evaluate what we do, right? Yep. Like verbatim. I'm just giving an example, probably one that's not more yeah. distracted. No, it's, it's a fair point. Right? Or my, my favorite one, like the learning record store, right? Everyone was shopping for learning record stores. Well, you know. Do you really need a learning record store if you have a data warehouse and you maintain it internally? I mean, again, it's those type of things in evaluating learning tech that I think needs to be done, not the core fundamentals. I think the core fundamental of an LMS, that's like a once every three year event. If you want to go and look at it, make sure you're the right version, make sure you want to, maybe you want to do a price shopping event to make it competitive, whatever. But it really, it's about the solutions on top of the LMS to me that where you really want to spend your time. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I've found, and this has been extremely helpful for every organization that I've been with, is mapping out that capability. And I think sometimes when people do that, they pick vendor targets first. They're like, oh, we need this. And it's like, no, what do we need in our, we need to be able to do this. We need to be able to do that. And then, like you said, then every year you can say, okay, what are our priorities for this year? what can we not do or what are we struggling to be able to do because we don't have that capability, not we don't have this platform or things like that. But then, yeah, you can, you can plan towards that and say, well, maybe this year is the year we really need to focus on analytics or this is the year we need to focus on this capability. Then you can actually start having an intelligent decision around 
okay, then who are the players that are good in that space that we should be talking to? Exactly. And I okay. love the abilities. All right. I think, yeah. I think we – we can, we I can, think we, right. We <laughs> everybody's listening like gamification and micro learning, <laughs> and you're talking about SASs and tech capabilities. But again, I think that's an important discussion to have because when you think about it, if you're not doing that groundwork first, then getting to the gamification micro learning, then it is just chasing the shiny object because you're just running around going, "Hey, I went to you know learning 2019, and everybody was talking about." adaptive so we should do adaptive without really understanding how it fits so it was important context i think to set up but let's talk about this one because i remember when we we sat down and talked about this we said you know micro learning such a vague word in terms of of what that means so far as it's been trademarked to the point of okay but what is micro learning so when you look at it one how would you define it but also how does M-Level look at micro-learning? Yeah, so, so let's first talk about the definition of, 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 of micro-learning itself. It's really taking content and breaking it into bite-sized chunks for consumption, yep. small bits by the end user, which is really important to understand that in micro-learning, it's not just taking, and I love Carl Kopp's, you know, Carl Kopp was an expert on this um, category. We talk a lot about this. Carl's philosophy is you don't just take a course piece of content and cut it, and if it was an hour-long content, and just chop it in five-minute intervals. That's not the goal of micro-learning, right? It's not to say, oh, I've, I've accomplished micro-learning. My, my, my 16-minute course is now, uh, sorry, <laughs> the math uh, is, I don't know, I can't do math, 14, 14 or something like that, or 15, I don't know, 12, 12, 12 individual five-minute courses. That is not a micro-learning event, right? So micro-learning is taking information and bite, delivering in bite-sized chunks, but it's also got to be designed so it can be consumed in bite-sized chunks, right? So it's important to understand that when you look at a course, maybe a 60-minute course, that the micro-learning of a 60-minute course may wind up being two to three five to 10-minute sessions versus one 60-minute session, okay? okay. And, and I would look at it from the perspective of, so that's my philosophy is you kind of take first to take the core to define it, break it in bite-sized chunks. Now, when we think about it at M level, we think about how do we design templates and environments to allow companies to make it easy to deploy micro learning solutions. How do we put them in a box, right? How do we force the designer box? And I actually think this is micro learning is really a foreign skill set to the L and D community, and I think I know why. Okay. Okay, let's hear it. So, so it's not the L and D community's fault. I want to take everybody on this podcast. <laughs> it's not your fault. You all went to college and got a degree. It's your professor's fault. Right? Why? Because your professor taught you in an environment where you learn in a classroom and you learn how they want to teach you how to learn. And they taught you that's the way people learn because we've been learning that way for not a eons. short eons, right? Right. And what's funny is, is that these instructors don't bring the Ebbinghauser forgetting curve into their conversation as an instructional design curriculum, right? You know, so they go through, you go through, you learn how to be an instructional designer, you learn from a teacher, you learn that everything is a large format, then you get to a corporation and they, they, if you're early, you're here for a long time, you start learning about how to deliver things in instructor-led training, which are very long, drawn-out formats. If I, you can yep. see this draw my hand out right or you're told to do e-learning which is instructor-led training in long drawn formats now through a computer and now they've said to you wait there's a new buzzword micro learning go break everything by such chunks well where does that fundamentally come from you're not taught how to think no. about content delivery in bite-sized chunks right so we try and help that by kind of forcing the box okay. right um kind of saying okay look here's a template with 10 questions only required for it you can only write 10 questions for it so it's an experience where you can only write 10 Right. You're almost forcing. You're almost forcing people through the exercise of, 
right. you have this, you, you, you have to somehow make decisions to get it to this. Right. And it, it's a great way to think about the whole concept. So we try and teach that skill set by building templates that have restrictions. We do provide ones that don't, so they kind of blend themselves back and forth. But we try and think about how do we restrict the environment. We also think micro learning has a place in the learning ecosystem. It's not everything, yeah. the learning ecosystem. So our ph philosophy actually roots into how do we make it so that micro learning become a part of traditional learning programs or delivered in the flow of work. Right, because those where micro learning opportunities are significant. So philosophically, we also think about integration strategies that help the learning learning development partner be able to easily deploy it where the learner is versus having to think about how do I get this into this? I gotta go find it. Gotta go find it, right? Because that's another thing. We have this kind of concept that we believe that human beings will go search for the content they're looking for. Um, and, and I love human beings because we're all in the same equal group here, but most people are not that curious in, about improving their performance. It's the other thing that the L&D practitioner is burdened by. The burden is, is that by nature as an educator, you're extremely curious, right? right so that's why you got into it. That's exactly right. And you said, oh my God, I can help other people learn better. I'm like this. Everybody else is like this. I just need to show them the way or give them right. the tool. Right. And if that was the case, everyone would be a teacher and everyone would be there. And, and, and again, it's it's a little bit about helping us understand the audience, which is kind of why when we think about micro learning, it's all about what's the delivery method inside of there. If all of a sudden your micro learning is just video wrapped up in shorter bite-sized chunks in the larger video. It's not micro learning. It's a short video. And I know people who are in the video, video I don't know. That's micro learning. Okay. Well, great. Why? What learning? I, mean, by, by, I guess you could technically, depending on how you define it, you're like, well, I guess, yeah, it's micro, but, but that's not conceptually what we're talking about of true effective micro learning. Well, I would argue that, Where's the learning and watching? Fair. No, that, you know what, that's a fair point. And, and actually, I, I'm with you on that because I think that's, that's another myth that we could probably talk about for another show is the fact that consumption of content alone is not where the learning happens. And, and so micro learning is a perfect example of the small YouTube videos that people put up on the, to teach you how to do stuff. They're actually the best, the best world version of what we think about for micro learning. If you're going to be in the micro learning space, it's combining content with application, right? And again, if you're going to build a video, how do I get someone to actually go step by step to go through it? Right? When you watch a video, you know, I, I am not the most handy person in the world. So YouTube's like a godsend to me. So if I ever get a task from my wife that says, hey, you got to go do X. And believe me, those tasks are very small. First thing I'll place is on YouTube. I actually deployed a new mesh router last night in our house. Right? And I watched the YouTube video first. But I actually paused it and was able to go take action throughout that interaction. It was a three and a half minute video. It took me nine and a half minutes to set up the whole network. I was pretty darn excited. That's micro learning to me. And we think about that at M level. How do we get that real application? How do we get someone going through a short video, then answering questions, short video, and then answering? So they're applying in taking advantage of this micro learning experience. And we're doing it in a very targeted manner that gets them in the flow of work, right? So we're getting them where they're, where they're in need of it, not just necessarily where they're searching for it in the course catalog. Which that goes, if you think about it, that's actually going beyond just the platform, right? I mean, that's a whole fundamental shift. And I think that's something that almost on every episode I've had so far, we've gotten into and talked about the fact that this is a shift for L&D that they have to make in the way they're thinking about what kind of content are we designing or what types of problems are we solving? Because if you don't change that, you're just going to end up with a micro learning platform that you're just putting your 60 minute course now broken into, you know, 25 minute that's 120, but you get, you get the point, you chop oh, it up and then you just put it in a micro learning platform and it's still just as ineffective as it was in its, in its full length, you know, version. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And then what happens is you go back and see micro learning doesn't work, 
right? So that's, that's, that's the outcome. And I think you, you talked about, we even talked about it at the beginning, we talked about capabilities versus tools, right? What are you trying to accomplish, right? What's the goal? Why do you think micro learning will be a better solution? Usually micro learning is brought up when there's a lack of engagement or yeah. there's a frustration from the audience around the time it takes to consume it. I don't have the time to go through all this training, and make it shorter. I don't have direct engagement. We'll think micro learning would work on that, right? It's, 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 it's kind of reacting to a pain versus proactively saying, hey, you know what? Um, let's just look at new hire orientation, right? Some companies have one day of new hire orientation. Some companies have six weeks of new hire orientation. Some of that new hire orientation can be in a classroom for five to six hours a day of learning stuff. Nobody's learning it for five to six hours a day. Yep. The darn thing, but companies aren't changing. Micro learning should live is a great place in new hire orientation, right? First of all, the associate is as passionately excited about joining your company. If they're not, they should have joined, but let's not go into that philosophy for a moment. <laughs> right. Everyone's excited to join. They're at their best day. Best day ever. Day one. Day, day one, best day ever. And we are taking that day one and killing it. Killing it. Instead of making it short, interactive, fun experiences where we get them excited about their continued adventure for day two, right? Instead, we put them in this mundane classroom-like experience. And then when we think about micro-learning, we don't incorporate it. It's a great opportunity in new higher orientation to shrink the investment it takes to get an employee on board through micro-learning, giving them self-paced study, giving them fun things to do that will give them instant reward and application and satisfaction. That's where micro-learning has a great application. And it's unfortunate because it's a place where I think that a lot of companies don't think about how do I apply and what do I do best there? Right. Or if they do it, they take the six hours of classroom content and chop it into 300 pieces and say, Hey, now go spend day one sitting at your computer in front of the LMS and take these 300 courses, which now feels even more overwhelming than, than the six. And then again, then it gets the blame of, well, that was less effective. And, and even worse, because at least with the classroom, there's an st instructor at the top of it. So and good it, snacks, right? There's usually good snacks. So now I'm taking this person and I'm shoving them into a yeah. queue and telling them to spend their day on video. Great. They're, they're going to be a long time lifer at your company. Um, no, just sarcasm there. But, uh, so yeah, that, I know that was a very long-winded answer to micro-learning at a core, but that's kind of our you know, mindset is how do we think about delivering templates, how to frameworks, and then how to make it easy for the person to deploy it um, in the work. Um, and then... Something else that we kind of bring to the bear as part of this is that micro learning provides a, a tremendous opportunity for analytics okay. and to react to analytics. So, and notice there's two different terms there, right? So if I create quality micro learning experiences that measure the outcome, and again, I'm gonna be only focused on measurement of the outcome and we can debate the other forms of micro learning later on if you want. But if we talk about the measurement piece, if I say to Chris, you're, you're new hire, Right? And I've got you through and I've designed a series of micro-learning exercises for you to complete day one. If I'm doing it correctly, I should generate data that allows me to see what you learned from your day one experience. What's the best way to make a day two experience start for an employee? If I start day two and you walk in the office, Chris, and I'm like, hey, Chris, welcome back. So excited to have you back for day two of new higher orientation. Before we jump into the new content today, I want to jump in and cover a few points from yesterday's session because I just think it'd be good to do I some. I missed it. You as the employer are going to be like, oh, my God. These people really do, they, they know about me, they value me, right? Um, and I think that micro-learning gives this tremendous jump off point for analytics, right? To react to, because if you design those series of good courses and analytics, you can actually do unbelievable things to help that employee feel a more personalized connection, regardless of whether they're a new hire or they're learning about a new product, right? Micro-learning has this value that we, in traditional large format or traditional learning delivery, um, we don't get that luxury of, right? Because 
you know, creating analytics from that is harder and we don't have the time because we're spending all of our time in the classroom or all of our time creating this wonderful course. Well, and it's hard to get surgical about what, you know, what's working, what did people, because it's just a big block. It's just a big black box. You can't really see what components of it. Okay. So, so with this, let's, and then, and then we'll get, I, I do want to look and talk about how that is, right? Cause it's one thing to say, Hey, this is our philosophy on it. This is what micro learning looks like. And then it's like, okay, but we talked a little bit about how we chunk that down, but we can see that in the platform. But before we do, I want to jump over to the gamification one because that's another buzzword, if you will. And, you know, there's even two, you know, there's game design and then there's gamification. So, you know, when you look at all of this stuff, when this first took off, as, as I saw it taking off, it was almost that whole, I guess I've always struggled with gamification in general because I looked at it, you know, back again, before I would want to acknowledge the date. But when it first started coming out, like when I was doing it, it was, oh, we're bringing Jeopardy into the classroom. And people were so excited. Like, people loved the Jeopardy. You know, it made everything so great. And it was like, but what were we, what were we trying to achieve with that? So when you look at gamification, one, how does M-Level tackle gamification? And then what outcomes is it driving towards when you combine it with, with uh, micro learning? Yeah, so Chris, I think you brought up a couple of different things. Uh, you talked about game-based learning and gamification, they get muddled. Um, and it's because who could really differentiate between the two, but they're completely different um, things. And, and our platform addresses both of those. So a game-based learning experience is kind of like that Jeopardy environment where you kind of, you know, you're, you're asking questions. It's a game. It's a game. You're playing it and to advance and get a qualifying good score and be able to get the good grade, you have to be able to answer the questions. Right. So let's be clear that that's 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 a game. That's a game based learning experience, probably like a Jeopardy, um, any activity where you to advance, you have to get the questions right to get your points moving forward. Right. When you talk about gamifying something, you're talking about bringing game type elements into the system, as well as a what I will call for, for people who really don't think about gamification, make it easier, a loyalty style program reward into the platform. Yeah. Right. So gamification is not new. Gamification is a buzzword that was brought into the been around the, for a long time. Gamification has been in the food service space, the travel space forever. Right. I mean, airlines, hotels, restaurants. Right. Uh, That's all, not unique to learning at all. Not at all. And it's usually the motivator to get people to come to your location and establishment to choose your brand over somebody else's brand. Right. They made it in the fitness industry. The Fitbit's fully gamified. They gamified to the eye, the eye watch, whatever they call it now. Um, it's all gamified. Right. Everywhere you, you go, you're gamified, which is why gamification has a place in learning, because basically you're just bringing the standard of what everybody's used to to the table. But what gamification is, right, when, it, when at your core is you're doing things like leaderboards. You're doing things like badges. You're doing things like stars. These are extra motivators for people to perform to relieve what we call social currency in the organization that could sometimes be turned into actual currency, right? So you can use gamification to build points and rewards and then redeem actual product at the other side of it, right? But it's really designed to motivate people to participate more. And really the power of games and gamification is what I call the repeat engagement model. If okay. you design your program right, you are going to get someone to do something more than once in training. That is a novelty. Imagine if I get someone to do something four times. So well, I'll give an example. We do a lot of programs and you'll see me show you an activity called Block Party. Block Party is an activity where people blow up blocks. I won't reveal the company's names, but I've seen literally people play Block Party as high as 250 times during a single training program. <laughs> And, and literally, you know, the average is probably five to eight on that one activity. Now, what happens there is the learners doesn't think they're learning. 
they actually started playing a game to move up the leaderboard, right? They, they, they saw them staggering the leaderboard and they wanted to win or they started having fun. And lo and behold, what's happening is as they're answering questions along the way, that information is being driven to their rote memory. As it's being driven to their rote memory, they're able to re respond and actually, I'll use word regurgitate, but I'm gonna use word regurgitate, that information on demand. They don't know how, right? And we've seen this. It's there. it's there and they don't understand how it got there, but it's there. And it's the same reason why when you're a kid, right? And, or, or even an adult, if you want to learn a new skill, let's say you want to learn, let's say, Chris, tomorrow you decide you're going to learn how to play guitar. You've got so much extra free time now, um, you're going to learn how to play guitar, right? What's going to happen? You're going to, you, you probably can try and self-teach yourself, but you're going to sign up for lessons. You're going to take practice, and then you're going to have lessons. And at the end of every lesson, the teacher's going to say, now go home and practice the five key chords that I just taught you. And when you come back, I want to start right there. And so because you've got this pressure now, you're going to sit at home and you're going to, you know, Jam away. Over and over and over and over, and over, and over again. And what are you driving? You're driving rote memory. You're driving this practice, this skill set, right? So gamification kind of gives you this unique opportunity to take pieces of content that deserve to be in the rote memory, punched in there long term, and make it part of the fabric, right? How do I get someone to do it? Gamification is a motivator, right? Um, no one wants to be last on a leaderboard. Doesn't mean I always want to be first. You can't deal with the win. There are people ultra competitive. You don't have to worry about them. They want to win everything. So the moment you put the leaderboard up, those ultra right. competitive. They're, they're going for number one spot. Most people live in the box of what they don't want to be last. So <laughs> Just they, not right. at the bottom. Not at the bottom. <laughs> I don't want to be the person when my boss goes in and scrolls to the bottom leaderboard and sees Jordan at the bottom leaderboard, only earned one star and didn't get you know the points. I got to make points. Sure Right. Now, if everybody's got three stars and now everybody's just competing because they want to get extra points, whatever, great. I don't, but that gets that person, again, come back into that platform more than one time, right? You get this constant flow of doing it. If you're designing it right, that social currency of badges is recognition for completion. The leaderboards drives that engagement. The stars gives them that median sense of satisfaction, things you traditionally can't do in a, uh, what I'll call e-learning program that doesn't have gamified gamification as part of it. Okay. So it's a combination and I, and it is an important distinction because I think gamification, like you said, gets thrown around a lot when sometimes you're really talking about game-based learning and you need to understand they are two separate things. Now, a lot of times they're combined, which is what you talked about. You can combine the two to get the added benefits of both, but that is two distinctly different things. And you're not necessarily just doing both because, because you did something, you know, with games. Right. And it's got to have a purpose and a reason. Why are you using the games? Right. Again, I always start with what's you kind of what's why why are why you, are we doing it problem solving am I solving an engagement problem okay great I have an engagement problem is gamification the best solution to solve engagement maybe maybe it might be because right if that and and that's I've where I personally have experienced gamification being the right tool for the job where you say hey. We, we've, we've made sure we had the right stuff. We know we're shooting in the right direction. Our biggest challenge is, is we're trying to capitalize a larger percentage of people's attention because we need them to come back to it. And then, okay, yeah, if that's the gap, then that may be a, a, an appropriate solution to it. Yeah. I think the other thing, though, that you, you talked about that when I've deployed this in the past where you really have to be objective from an L&D standpoint because a lot of times it's easy to get caught up in what we think is so important or what we think is relevant. I remember one time I was in a, in a program and was, they had you know, gamified it and, and game-based it. So it was a game. And I remember going through going, why is this information? This information is completely irrelevant to me. So yes, yes, I'm playing the game because at the time I could get you know, an Apple, I don't remember what it was like iPod. If I was number one, 
But at the end of the day, once I won the iPod, it all just purged because the information was completely irrelevant. So I think that's an important note to make is that you still need to do your due diligence to make sure that you're putting the right things in place because otherwise it's not, it's not driving the right outcomes. So think about, think about compliance, right? You could gamify compliance to essentially theoretically drive more participation in compliance events at a faster rate. It's a very popular way to do it, by the way. Yeah. Right? But if you don't take a step back, driving all the way back to microlearning as a conversation and actually think about what are the parts I want to gamify and what are the most valuable, most important parts of compliance that matter? This is the stuff we want to burn into right. your brain right. so you never forget it. Not everything is the most important, right? It right. can't, not all, you know, if you talk to the chief security officer and you're doing cybersecurity, of course, everything's the most important. That's not true, right? What's your number one variable of risk, right? Okay, great. If you decide phishings and understanding that email is being sent to the network are the number one risk to the company for hackers doing it, let's spend all, let's gamify that information so that we know that when we are done with this program, we've given a general overview and how to protect and open files. We get a general variable of where to store stuff. We did all the things information practices, but we're going to double down on phishing because it is the number one pain point that our organizations suffer from in cybersecurity. So let's double down on that. Let's make sure we have bite-sized chunk content. Let's make sure it's gamified because we want people, we want Chris to take that program when he wins that Fitbit or Apple Watch or iPhone or iPad, whatever, iPod, whatever technology or gift card, whatever it is. When he wins it, the reward is Chris is less likely to click on a link coming in, he'll be so aware of what potential solutions are coming after when the hackers are coming, right? Most hacks yep. today come from email, we're gonna double down on that, right? So it's again, it's taking that, what's the outcome? What am I trying to reach within there? How do I use gamification games as a weapon? Because if you use it too often, by the way, guess oh. what? Right, now, now, lose now- it's effectiveness. It's effectiveness, right? You're like, oh, okay, all right, I'll, uh, great. You know, and, and again, we can go into this, there's some emotional reaction, right? But you gotta be smart when you use it because it's not for all things for all people. No. So, right, and that's, I, you brought it up. It was an area I was going to go into that, again, going back to that use case, the best decision isn't to say, hey, let's look at our whole L&D portfolio and let's just gamify all of it and just blast it out to the organization because gamification is the, the hot thing. Yeah, I mean, high value opportunities, right? I look at L&D and I say, okay, we're, you know, we're going to have a library of content available for people to learn. Got it. Okay. So I've got a portfolio of content. I'm partnering with a myriad of content providers. There's so many of them out there, Open Sesame's, uh, you name it. They've got libraries upon libraries of content, right? So I can, I can give content resources to my team to grow. Where am I going to move the needle for the company? By investing in technology through learning development for training outcomes that move, 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 move the dollar forward. What I mean by that is, does it help the company sell more? Does it help the company save money? Does it help the company protect itself? Right. These are the things that L&D has to think about. And, and that's where you invest your dollars. Where am I moving the needle? Right. How quickly can I move the needle? If uh, So let's take a company that sells some type of widget. Right. And the company's now about to do a major release on an upgrade to the widgets. And in order to pay for the upgrade to the widgets, everybody's got to sell it. Right. So why not spend my energy, my custom development, my, my, my gamification, my micro learning, anything that matters in the space where I can get the most value back for it. Right. I can quantify it. I can say, I can quantify that I can move the needle from L&D. And this is why I'm making this investment. So I'm not asking you for money for the sake of just asking for money. I'm building you a mousetrap, leveraging whatever products, point solutions, whatever you do to drive the needle. I'm gonna sell more widgets, but I'm gonna be ready to move. And I'm not gonna worry about everything. I'm gonna worry about educating on the widget, the overcoming the objections, 
and you know whatever else that throws Chevron is. And remember I'm those be asking open-ended questions versus closed-ended, something yeah. like that. Now I'm going to take that and I say, okay, great. So uh, product knowledge is something I definitely want to gamify because I want people to learn it like the back of their hand, right? I want them to be able to not use a knowledge management system. I want them to be able to not have to bend down and go on their iPad and search to see what the product does in the retail store. Or but even that you might not gamify every component of product knowledge. You might say, what is the critical information about our product that you should never have to look up? If anybody asked you anything, you can just rattle it off the top of your head because bam, that, that's not all of it. That's this percentage of it. Well, you'll address the majority of the audience, by the way, because most of the people you're hiring are not going to remember the top 10 things anyway, right? So if you need yep. more universal knowledge, for, if it's a complex sale, they need to know nothing because a complex sale, they're basically going to rely on the sales engineer to help support them deploy it. Even though I would argue in the retail store, if I'm selling a device, right? You know, I have to be an expert, but I also have teams in that retail store where I can go I get- lean on them. I can lean on my, my manager. I can lean on the tech expert who's in and say, hey, you know, I've, I've got this customer. You know, I've talked to him about the, the Samsung new uh, TV that's 4K UHD, but they, they've got this neat thing where they want to hang it sideways outside. You know, I don't need to memorize that because I can talk to our installation crew and they can talk about it. Sideways outside in the back. I'm going to go get Jimmy from, you know, the team back there and he's going to come help you out right now. And the customer really appreciates that, by the way. But as a training person, you focus on doing your job, getting that top 10. And now you've got a great customer experience moving forward. Okay. Good. Yeah, all, these are all great points. And I think this, again, goes back to when I originally posted, we were talking about this. Sometimes gamification and microlearning get a bad rap. And I don't think, my personal opinion is, it's not the tool's fault. It's that when you use it wrong, it doesn't work well. And, and these are all important elements when you talk about, hey, how do you use this the right way so that it is driving that effectiveness? And did you see what I did there? See how I brought the SaaS conversation full circle, right? It's about prioritization. And yes, is there a time to build? Sure, there's nothing wrong with it, but you don't do it all the time. Is there a time to gamify or do micro learning? Absolutely, but you don't do it you know, all the time because that's not the right tool for the job. Yeah. I agree. Um, there was something else I was going to ask you about it. And now it's now. It, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so this is right. This conversation's fantastic. And as we go further, one of the big things I always look at is what are some of the things that if an organization is saying, Hey, I'm listening to this, this is jiving. I think micro learning or gamification might be a gap that we are looking to prioritize for these types of things. What are some of the things that inevitably you might see an organization think they're, they're on the right path and they just didn't realize, oh, we needed to prepare for this or we, we didn't do this the right way? Because I see that happen. And when it does, a lot of times what happens is the finger gets pointed at, at you know, the tech. Oh, well, the tech failed. You know, it was the tech's fault. And it's like, well, really, this was something that you needed to do to be successful in using this capability. What are some of those things? Yeah, so the general practice I see is that when someone buys a tech for the buzzword reasons, okay. my boss says I have to have mobile learning. My boss says I have to have gamification. My boss says I have to have micro. Um, those are first telltale sign that we're, we're, we're headed into harm's way even if we're selected. Um, and I, there's a vendor sitting on the side, I can read the tea leaves, right? That's someone who's disinterested in before they started, right? No one likes to be told what to do. Um, so first, make sure you have a purpose and a plan. Right? I think we've talked about this multiple times, um, but also selecting the right type of content and leaning on the partner to understand it. Right, Just because your, your, your team says we need gamification 
um, doesn't necessarily mean that you can't come back to them and say, hey, I've met with multiple vendors on this. Um, actually, you know, one or two of them actually said, I don't know if I'd start with this content. It's not really designed to be micro learning and gamified. Um, it's, it's a real struggle. Um, okay. we, we, have, we had a former customer, you know, in our early days, and, and we're guilty of sin, by the way, I will tell you as a vendor side, especially early stage vendor companies who don't have a lot of history and traction, um, all revenue is not created equal. Um, all opportunities are not created equal. Uh, <laughs> I love the transparency. I love it. Uh, when you're in the early stage, it, it, you just want to eat, right? So you're all interested in putting food on the table. So everything's equal. It doesn't matter. So we had a customer come to us um, in our early days, and we'd probably be better served now on SAP user, super user certification. Now, four years removed from that opportunity, you couldn't pay me to sign up for that with the technology we offered in 20. With 14 or 15. Today we're in a different place, but it was a terrible program selection, right? Now with my hindsight 2020, right? I didn't do a great job of being a partner to that client, right? And say, hey, look, this, this is just not great content, right? You, you want to win. The job in L&D, by the way, when you're doing this, you always want to win. You want positive outcomes. Even blaming the vendor doesn't help you. Doesn't help you. No one remember. So it was all N-Level's fault. Okay, great. Who selected M level? Right. Why? Oh, so now you're you're it actually has a double negative there. If you're passing the buck, you're passing the buck. So actually, what the person here is the other end is not only this person failed this program, they don't even have the they ability failed to at selecting the right tool. Right. So ask the question. Make sure the vendor is comfortable. You know, and if you're signing up, and think about what content and what audience is going to respond well to this. Right. If you're going to start gamification off with your C suite. Probably not a great place to do it. <laughs> Most C-suite professionals think too highly of themselves. I, I sit in the C-suite, so I can tell you, think too highly of themselves to want to be gamified, right? I, you know, this. Don't start, if you're a hospital, don't start with your doctors, right? Why? Doctors don't really need to be taught the value of education. They spent eight to 12 years, whatever, 16 years being educated, going through the process. You can see where I'm getting at here, right? Yep. Audience matters. So don't, you know, think about that, okay? Think about where do I win with this, right? Where do I win with this piece of content? If I'm going to get into learning and I'm going to get into gamification, I'm going to get into micro learning, I want to win. Every project that I touch, I want to win on. I want to be looked at as a hero. I want five stars. I want everyone asking for Jordan, the instructional designer, Jordan, the performance consultant, Jordan, whatever, my learning architect. I want them saying, oh my God, is Jordan on my project? Right? Because what does that do? Our goal is to create long-term career viability and a pathway. And if we just buy technology for the sake of a buzzword, because somebody told me to, and we don't think about the audience and the plan, we're just creating failure. And even if it is the vendor's fault, it always comes back full circle. They always remember the person who chose the vendor. They always come back to it. We all know this. You know, it's, I think about career longevity, longevity, longevity. That's the word I was looking for. Longevity. There it is. And I think that this is an opportunity. I think this kind of speaks to that. Be really smart, right? Don't say yes necessarily. If your boss says, hey, we want to gamify it because we're having terrible engagement around compliance. Great. What does that mean? What are your goals? What do you want as the output, right? Because there's all different types of solutions out there. Just take the time before you go deploy to make sure that the audience is your target audience for it, the content's going to sing well with it, and that make sure you held your vendor accountable for that selection process, right? Make sure if someone doesn't say to you, no, that's not good content, and test them. Like literally come up with a test that you know is not the right content, from everybody else who told you no and see if they say yes. If they said yes, they're probably not a good long-term partner uh, to go with because okay. they're trying to make sure they eat. They're just trying to make sure they eat. So make <laughs> sure, yeah, make sure you pick someone who's not just trying to eat.
right. Yeah, and and that's uh, that's been my experience over the years too, where things and I have there I've made bad decisions. I'll I'll admit there have been times I've thought, hey, let's let's do this. And for me, one thing I've found that's worked well is do those right. Don't go all in. And I think you hit on that. Don't go all in right away. Figure out where, like you said, you can play to win and then build on that. Because the worst thing you can do is go, we're going gamification, gamification on everything. And you go out with a colossal bang because maybe it did work really well in a, in a five or 10% niche, but the other 90 or 95% failed so colossally, nobody pays attention to where you won. And now, now you're stuck with egg on your face. Exactly. Well, let's, let's actually look at the platform. Let's pull it up. And I know I'll have more questions as we get into it. I've, I've used M level, but I'd love, it's been a while. So I'd love to see, you know, refresh my mind on what it is. And as we get into it, we can hit on a couple things um, as we go. So let me know. And I know the three things that you really dive into on your website is, is micro learning, gamification and analytics. So you know, we'll see how far we get with each of those, but at least a little bit of a teaser on, on what that looks like. Yeah. So Chris, I've kind of got to start here. I'm going to start us in the content creation piece. Cause I think that's an important part to start with. It is. Right. And I'm, we're going to make what's consumed last because I, because I hate to say this, but you know, while the end user is going to consume it, we have to get our minds retrained in how we build and think about the playing and what matters on the measurement piece. So we're going to start in the build process, right? So let's say yep. you were an mobile customer and you were building a program on workplace safety, right? So this is in our demo environment. And I would hit the new button here for, uh, for this to populate, but I'm going to hit one of the existing programs just for time purposes. And, and so this is, on the, this is on the build side, the developer side. So I've been assigned this mission, no pun intended, um, huh. I've got to get my details together for what I want to train my audience on related to workplace safety, right? So is everything else, you got to give it a name, your course a name, we call it a mission here at M level because everything's about the M, but hey, um, you know, that's, that's our jam. If you want to call it a course, we can go with that too. <laughs> and then you got to give a, a welcome message to the learner. Now, there's a lot of things in our product that we think about. Remember I talked about the democratization of technology, right? Yes. We're going to ask you a couple questions up front in the advanced configuration section that you don't have to answer necessarily day one, but we like to make sure that's important. Remember I talked about this concept of you don't need to always have a gamification or achievements, yep. right? So what we want to do is say, hey, do I want badging? Here's my yes button, right? So now I've enabled badging for the system. We're going to give out achievements. And then I get to determine how many stars are required, right? Because every program has got different measurement. Your compliance programs may say, look, I need 100%. They don't get a badge till they're... 100% complete. But your sales team, your sales leader may say, look, I just want a bunch of Bs. So give everybody badges to get to 80s. I want them on the field. I don't want them, you know, sitting on the sidelines. I'll deal with the other 20% they missed. That's there. That's, again, we, we okay. shouldn't be rigid, right? So we give you the flexibility. Again, the same thing on leaderboards, right? So you get to build leaderboards, et cetera, right? And you just can't continue to go through. And we think about everything as plug and play. I, here's a great one. Leaderboards, by the way, won't work for every program. You're a global company. Yeah. You're working in Europe. I got to tell you right now, GDPR. GDPR is going to slap you down, but I got U.S. people. Okay, great. I disable it for my European people. I activate it for my U.S. people. Again, I think about this again, how flexible can I be to get my gamification? Now, do you have to create a separate mission based on that, or can you configure based on audience? Well, first of all, we're going to get to that in a second. So um, we okay. would recommend creating a second mission anyway for the European presence if you're turning the leaderboard off because- okay. You can't have Europeans can't see the you. It's your jealousy factor, right? I mean, you know, okay. we, you don't want FOMO occurring in your organization. Uh, <laughs> um, you want to avoid FOMO at all costs. And so I would suggest that, you know, look, there are already different. It's going to do it. 
keep them separate. The right okay. So now I've got my foundation. I, your branding's pretty straightforward, right? I can pick a brand for my template to come in again, really easy. Pick my hex color in, etc. I can deal with my mentor. I'm not going to jump into that now. The moment you've got the foundation in place, and again, you can always go backwards. We, we ask you to think about what activities you want to deploy. Remember, I talked about templates, right? Yeah. Tonight, a series of templates, all which have descriptions. And notice right here, at least 10 questions, at least one question, at least 10 questions, right? Here's 18 questions, right? You can keep going down the list, and each template's going to have a different requirement put upon it, right? And a different outcome. Um, what we did in our early days is we kind of locked everything to Bloom's taxonomy. We've now said, you know what, we're going to give you the flexibility to pick any different question type you want across every template, but it's still a template, right? Okay. And so let's look at like one of those templates, that block party template. I talked about that famous template. We want to make it easy to build a game. This is going to deploy a game for you, which I'll show hopefully if you have time what the end output looks like, but here's the game. I, I can give it a subtitle here. I've chosen not to, I can give welcome instructions to my learner as they come in. And again, look below, I've got my star value right here. Okay. Right, so now I've set that gamification. I've given another message here to the audience when they've come in and I've got activity branding. Now, the next thing you do once you have an activity is you've got to questions. Right, so now I had to have how many? 10, I wrote 15, okay? But I put it in the box and again, really simple. Here's your question type I picked. This is what we call a basic image question. I uploaded an image. I tagged it. Now, we do something really important here. Tagging okay. a couple things. One, um, from an analytics perspective, it gives us the ability to kind of heat maps around different tags. So we can tell you within a tag of safety laws and Georgia laws, um, what particular questions you're asking and what the results are and answers there. But also if it's a question where you've got multiple choice over here, it'll tell you how many different questions you've created for that. But again, Here's your, fill, write your question. Is it correct or incorrect? Do I want feedback, yes or no, right? And every question template that you pick in our system, right, is going to give you this wonderful little framework template, okay? okay. Easy to do, again, code and tag it. So you get the tags right now, watch, I'm gonna shrink you over here. Now this is the tag distribution. So it's showing me the questions I'm asking where the tag already exists of working with power tools. So as a designer now, I also have a quick hint to go look at, right? And yep. see what's in front of me in my palette. We thought that would be very helpful to the designer so that they don't write too many questions about one topic. Then when they're done with that, they're gonna sign it to a user and they're gonna publish it off across all modalities. Okay, and I'm really simplifying the build process, but yeah. again, it's simple there. Now, what's interesting for us at M level is, uh, and, I, and I know Christian. So, before we go into the analytics piece, I, I'm so when we talk about this, right? You're, you're creating these questions and delivering that. Is that primarily then, you know, through these games, right? It's it's almost question based learning. Like, hey, here's a question. How did you answer it? And then based on you know your response, again, you'd have to put that in there, but to kind of create that learning of okay here's what you did. Nope, not right. Or yes, you did it right. Let's move on through that. And it's just kind of a re repeat and rinse and repeat over and over of that type of learning. Well, think about it this way. You can, you can um, take any other activity. Okay. And drop it in, right? So I could take video right now and say, you know what? I want to use a video to anchor the learning here. And Chris, I'm going to shrink you again for a second. Nope, that's okay. If I hit it's active and hit save. Okay. 
Now we go back to activities. Notice what I did. I could have someone watch a video. Okay. And then have them answer questions about that. And if I want to do that, I'd simply come on in here again and pop that in. Here's my video. So you have the ability to build content into it outside of just the right. questioning. And, and I think it's important to note that we actually recommend now to a lot of our learners, whether they're using video, whether they're using, we have an e-learning module that you can add in an existing X API or SCORM package into, or you want to use flashcards. Inside of a micro-learning experience, if, you if there especially is a follow-on or reinforcement, um, if you're doing it that as a targeted, targeted learning experience, you want to give them access to the original content if you can. Um, as, or at least a good refresher, right? One of the reasons we use flashcards is it kind of forces the mind to think about what are the most important items that I want the learner to know inside that anchoring or refreshing exercise along the way, right? So a lot of the questions and answers are the means to an end to trap the data. And we like to give availability to the content to the learner. Um, and I know the next question will be, well, can I just use and upload my SCORM package into M-Level and then not use my LMS and just have the assessment right next to it? The answer to that is yes. But, um, Again, we like to give you flexibility to deploy and create, not just focus on questions and answers only. You can store the original content there as well. So you and you answer the question. So in theory, you could put you you could host your content in M level. It has the capability to host the content. It doesn't mean you have to. So it could be hosted elsewhere and then you're linking out to it. That's correct. Okay. All right. Got it. Yeah. I'm sure I'll have, I'm sure I'll think of some other ones, but yeah, let's jump to analytics. Not a problem. So um, one of the things that, that I told about, you know, when we started our journey, remember coming from a technologist background, right? So you have to, you have to anchor me into the place of saying, I like to think about what is the problem we're trying to solve and how do we build technology to do it? And once we got past the goal of democratizing the technology, making it easy to build, as you just saw, the next thing became about measurement. You know, so when we started our journey, it's getting better today, but really learning was a checkbox survey, smiley yeah. Did you do it? Did you do it? And do you feel happy about it? Um, and those are great things. Did you do it? And do you feel happy about it? But, you know, I come from a world that grew up uh, during what I call the marketing transformation period, where the world went from impressions to conversions and ROI and marketing. Like, I remember being in meeting rooms where the marketer would come in and say, hey, we just put up three new billboards. Uh, we just bought 14 new ads in, in local print publications, and we expect sales to go up. And the sales leader would go, sometimes myself, well, that's not necessarily true that we're going to get leads from that. We don't, how many leads are we going to get? And they go, well, we don't know how to measure leads. I, I don't know. We, don't, we get impressions. That's what we measure impressions. Yeah. How many people looked at it? How long did they spend looking at it? We're going to tell you how long they spent looking at it. That's great. No, it's not. It doesn't help me in my job at selling unless I know who did what they did. Right. So marketing with this massive transformation where now everything is tracked and measured and you couldn't sell a marketer on doing a program that wasn't measured. Right. So okay. I I said to us, we have to challenge us to how do we help learning do the same thing? What's learning's most powerful asset we can give them? And that's access to knowledge, right? And giving them insights into what people don't know about the information they share with, right? We talked about is a video learning if there's nothing measured inside of it? Just because I've watched content doesn't mean I learned something, right? Yeah. So let's pretend I was an administrator and I just run that workplace safety program. We'll hope everything stayed freshly refreshed here. Of course it didn't because that's a lot of demos. I'll hit a quick refresh. Um, it's a downside of when you log in before the demo, uh, before the call. <laughs> and then we talk for 45 minutes. <laughs> um, if Chris, you and I weren't so chatty, this would have gone much better. Um, no. uh, yes, I'm sorry. You can blame me for that one. So I hit workplace safety, right? And now all of a sudden, watch my data on the screen is going to change, right? Now I'm getting into the topic, the topic itself, right? 
which is cool. Now I've got all that fun data we talked about. Your marketing team wants, how many people clicked on it, how long did they spend time, yay, all that wonderful fluff and stuff, okay? Um, and I, I don't mean to insult fluff and stuff, but that's just how I view the no, world. It's, it, it has a place. I had a discussion about this the other day. It's not bad, it's just incomplete, right? right. If that's all you're doing, then it's not enough. So I look at my roster and let's say this crazy guy, Jordan, right? He's not learned much. He's got less than 50%, right? I want to know what Jordan's struggling with. Like today, if I wanted to do that in a traditional learning world, I literally have to go meet with Jordan and figure out what was going on. I might be able to investment, and if I had the right development team, I might be able to get them to tell me to score it, or I might have to manually do it. Any global organization is not going to manually score anything, and they're going to basically get the end result. But what now I have is I have a heat map on Jordan. I can say Jordan is really struggling around types of protective gear. So let me see, just real quickly, I want to drill into protective gear and I want to look at he scored now. Again, this is demo data. So I always tell people, you yeah. know, um, but now I can say, I want to know, uh, I, I see Jordan got a high score or let's go back to a bad score. Jordan got only 33% right um, on February, whatever, whatever day this was. I get a quick insight on all the questions he answered, right? So if there was more than one question, it'd all be here right and wrong. You can see why I only got 40% It's because I didn't finish the drill, right? I was incomplete, right? So this tells me I was incomplete versus another score where I might be wrong, wrong, or if I go down here, you know, I might, might have many more answers into it where I've gotten, you know, I don't know if I'll have more answers. Here you can see where I can got all the questions I got right versus the ones I got wrong. Okay. okay. You get quick insights. Our goal here is to give you a quick picture of what's going on within the learner, right? At this first, what we call performance tab. Okay. Um, the other thing we like to give you as a business is from the instructional designer's perspective, a macro view into how your topic's performing. Right. It's great that Jordan's having a problem, but I, to be fair, I, I run a global organization and Jordan's one. I don't have time to dig into every single employee. Just show me what my company's doing on workplace safety. Well, great. Here's what I taught people about. I taught them about the following topics, right? Interestingly enough, the data's not far off of Jordan's problems, just to be clear. And here are all the concepts I taught. Okay. So everything okay. from the collective vest to the pair of safety goggles. Now, if I go into Tyson Protective Gear and say, look, it's still a problem. Do me a favor and show me which particular concepts and activities were part of that journey. Now I can see that safety goggles and safety gloves, much bigger issue than reflective vests. Okay. So in my work safety training program, I'm- so I can make smarter decisions about where you might need to go back and reinforce Correct. the audience versus just, hey, let's peanut butter spread everybody with workplace safety because clearly they didn't do as right. well as we wanted. And then, we, of course, we want you to give you the opportunity to get granular again so you can right-click into that, drill into it. And what this will do now is build you every question that was part of the program, right? And again, look over here. Remember, we had a problem with safety gloves, I think it was, and safety goggles, right? Yeah. So if I, just tell me about the gloves. I don't care about the goggles. Gloves are super important in our organization. People don't wear them. They're in trouble. Now I hit that button. You have this quick ability to drill into questions, um, quick defined by who. Um, and then I've got this ability to look at all the question types and see how often they've been answered. And I can go into any question type and say, okay, let me just verify that the question I wrote and the answers I gave were fair and reasonable for the learner. And did it expose any flaws in my content? And of course, if I want to go help the person with the problem, we're going to let you drill through. Find that. Right. So again, if you think about that swimming event, we started with performance as an individual's quick snap. Now we're looking at topic across the board, of course, going down to granular. And then you know, one of the things you'll find out about our platform, okay, well, we track completion data, but this is just the standard integration we offer to LMSs, yeah. so that, that's there. Let if people you, know what they did. But, but this is the other part of training that's really important, and every company we deal with has what we call groups or cohorts. 
right? So new hire orientation, my contact center team, my leadership team, I've got teams, right? All across my company. I tend to train very few things across the entire company. Most things are trained in little pockets. So think about groups, right? Especially new hire classes. Remember I talked about the opportunity for micro learning gamification and new hire. Well, here's a map of the test group. Imagine that was new hire group one. Here's all the courses they took, right? So here's the class roster. Yeah. I can go in and say, I want to look at Jordan as a macro. So this is every course that Jordan took in M level with measurement, right? So now I can say, okay, where do I want to spend time? Well, Jordan sucks at customer service, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Right. Well, okay. Why does he suck? Well, he hadn't taken a course in a long time. Let's see what he got wrong in this checkout process. Okay. Now I've got the questions right here. I can go help Jordan with, right? And I got four out of 11. That's, that's great. Um, you can see that I, I wasn't doing really well on the program. And, and, and again, the goal with this data within our product is essentially to help companies make decisions quicker, right? Remember we talked yeah. about how do I use micro learning? Well, if I use micro learning, I want it to solve a problem. I want to know what the problem is. I want to then be able to fix it either through coaching. I know if it's getting better. How do I know? And I don't know. I'm not going to know by if everyone felt good about it, right? Everyone felt good. We got fives from the group. We got fives on that training. My net promoter score is a five. Well, great. What did the company do they, do they walk away with the information that you actually need? Are they actually better at doing? Do they, before, yeah. I jump in, before I jump out analytics and give you a quick preview into the front end of what's possible. Again, you know, it's a template engine, so you can pick whatever you want. Any questions about the analytics you want to cover with your audience? Uh, Not necessarily questions, but I think this is one that I've seen bubble up that it is important to consider. And it goes back to what you talked about from a prioritization standpoint, because I've seen, you know, when you, when you dig into these analytics, sometimes it creates one of two responses. Either people, usually it, people's eyes light up for one of two reasons. Either they look at it and go, holy smokes, that's way more, like I just wouldn't even know where to start with that. Or it's kind of the shiny object, oh my word, just think of all the insights we could get and all this stuff without really thinking through, hey, this kind of drill through, this kind of analyze, like digging into this, it's no, small, it's no small task to try and do it. So, which is why you wanna be strategic about where you're applying these tools because you could get lost in it very easily. And I've seen, I've seen people on my own teams where you know, they're, they're just so embedded in this. And it's like, well, hey, you're, you're lose, you've just lost yourself in the trees because there's just too much there for you to get in. And what value is that adding? So I think it's just another cautionary tale of you need to be strategic about how you're using it. Any weapon in your arsenal, you need to think about what your end goal is and what you want to reach with it and what value it has. So I think, I think you've hit a nail on the head there. The data can do one of two things, be overwhelming or extremely powerful. Um, and you want to kind of be in the extremely powerful category and know how to use it effectively. Well, and that's why you want, what we talked about earlier, that's why you want to pick the right things because otherwise you're going to go, hey, look at these analytics. People, people did really well in this. And if it, had, if it wasn't even a problem you were trying to solve, it's like, well, who cares? I, I don't necessarily care that everyone's favorite color is blue. That does not help me. Why did we make that a question in the first place? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, well let's, we can, we've got a couple minutes left, but I do want to be able to just at least do a quick show of, of what it looks like for that end user. And my question with the end user is, and you can hit on this while you're talking about it, is when they, when they consume this, we talked a little bit about, you know, it fitting in the work. How does that look? Are they, are they going to an app? Are they, you know, accessing it through an LXP or an LMS? Are they going to a separate website? What does that look like? Uh, if I answer the question with yes, would that be a unfair? No. So, uh, Just yes to all of it. <laughs> it's kind of our philosophy at M-Level. We didn't want okay. to 
pull ourselves to just being an LMS available tool, just being an LXP available tool, just a, you know, so we, we have our solutions deployed, obviously through the LMSs. We probably have, I think now up to eight integrations with most major LMSs that allow companies to deploy capture results. And, and if it's an LMS distribution, it's generally sent and set as a course. They get a link, they click on the link. If they're using their mobile device, it launches the mobile app. If, it, if they're using a um, tablet or a PC, they have the option, a PC in particular or a laptop. Open another browser window. Right, and tablet, they get an option for both, right? Because you can okay. play options, right? Because yeah, tablet has enough real estate to make it valuable. Um, if it's coming out of an LXP, it's generally can be an embedded frame experience. So um, we okay. have situations that are where you've embedded it inside their frame of the site itself. Um, so it doesn't I, even feel like you're necessarily bouncing right. out. And we do that also in things like SharePoint, which wouldn't be defined as a learning experience portal, but everybody owns it, right? Yep. Um, we've also deployed through Slack and Teams, right? So a person yep. in the Slack channel, um, and they can click on the link. When that happens again, they're going to launch whatever device they're on to take the experience. When they're done, they're going to exit out and they're going to go right back to the other experience they're in. Right? There's no portal platform that comes with the M-level experience for them to go back in and search for other content to go learn. We're very much part of a strategy where we believe integration to help a company deliver okay. learning of work is important. So your strategy isn't to create the catalog of like, hey, I'm just bored at my desk today. I think I'll go out to the M-level portal and browse the games. No, we'd rather have a solution just to build on that where the companies build all that content, but it's integrated into the degree and they go to degree and they find it to degree or they find their LMS category, a catalog at Workday or success factors or whoever else has catalogs. Or they're in Salesforce and something relevance there, something yeah, like exactly. that. Exactly. We, we, we want to put the learner searches. Why do we have to, you know, I have a whole different show we can do on too many destinations for learners to go to. Um, yeah. This is our answer to it. We will never build. We don't want another destination. You've got enough destination sites. We don't need more. We, we are helping the destination sites be stickier. <laughs> for lack of a better way of so here's an example you get four activities uh there's an anchoring activity i'm going to jump into that block party once as we kind of covered it um up front but we have four activities we recommend most micro learning programs have no more than four to six activities why yeah. each activity takes between one to three maybe five minutes tops right um you don't want someone inside of a micro learning platform for three hours right so no more purpose <laughs> what to do you just basically redesign your solution unless unless you use something in our platform called locking okay. um, if you use locking and levels which is another gaming element if you Can't lock on right in order to get from a to b you got to do a versus you get to b and you got to get a qualifying score in a then you can put as many of these activities you want because then it becomes like micro learning however if you notice when my mouse is dying over here on real estate we've also designed it to take up at six activities to go away to scroll so six is really a good number at, at the end of the day 30 minutes is a long time um, yep. I know it doesn't seem like it's a traditional learning, but now I'm a learner. I've come in, I've hit play, right? And now I've got that a blow up blocks. Like this does not look like learning except for the question marks, right? So now as a yep. learner, what happens? My instructions are here to blow up the blocks, to unlock the questions, and I'm given some elements of strategy, okay? okay? So I can spend my time thinking about what blocks I want to blow up without questions to create better game mechanics or experiences. Now, yep. dumb strategy, right? Like I could do something like, Here's the question here, and I could go back and do this and watch what I did there. I kind of ruined my cool board, right? So I'm going to go over here. I click on that. Now I get a question. As a learner, I'm asked to get the question. Now, this is really what we call a game learning experience, not a, a gamified learning experience, more than a game-based learning experience. Okay. I can actually advance. I may not get a qualifying score to know what I know, but I can actually continue playing without being disrupted, Okay. okay. And I always like to think about when you're doing game-based learning, if the learner can advance and it's truly not game-based learning to me, because 
if I can continue to advance to the next level without getting it right, then, you know, what's my thing? So I'm giving you an example here. This is just yeah. one game to play, interact. Yeah. Right? Um, I could probably play this for hours. I'll soon earn stars if I get stuff right. But it, it's fun, right? It's different. Yeah. It's not, you know, and you can see all different types of question types being generated. Very easy for so the learner. It's more than just popping a quiz at the end of an e-learning. Right, exactly right, right. And so, the, and what am I doing here, right? You can see my points are going up, right? I'm, I'm starting to hopefully earn stars soon, um, you know, answering questions as I go along, right? Now look what happened, I earned a star in the corner, right? So it's all these things that are going on with the learner that they're, they're interacting with throughout, then just, just answering questions and answers through this game experience here. I'm gonna pause it here. And again, I'll just show you the leaderboard. Um, we think the leaderboards are important. Again, I, I, I kid you not, um, have fun with it. Um, it is the real fact, to me, this is the draw. This yeah. is where you get, this is, this is the fun part, right? Because people will start talking smack in the hallways and that's what you want because now what they're doing, they're talking about training and they're talking about it in a positive way, right? Um, but you can do micro learning around simulations, right? So here's an activity called Pathfinder. This could be me watching a video, by the way, not just answering questions, but now I go apply the yeah. information, right? Again, it's a lot of questions and answers because what we want to do is ensure that when you're delivering your content based on what I understand, I, you understand. this is role play. I got feedback here. It'll be an image one coming up shortly. Um, let's see if I can get one wrong. Right? No, incorrect. Here's my feedback, right? It's like virtual role play, right? Um, and again, here's a question about an image, right? If I, if I didn't take my course, what's wrong with this image besides making you nauseous and you're looking down over here on the side, <laughs> you have height issues. You know, if you're not, if you're not familiar with workplace safety, can you really tell what's wrong here? I can, right? And the guy's not hooked into his harness. Yeah. Now I can ask a question, what was wrong with that image? That could be me watching a video, right? So think about like your training, you mentioned when you were a product example, right? Now imagine I just released a new widget. I want to teach someone to overcome objections, how to ask the right question. What question would you ask or, or playing a video of watching a good sales call or a bad sales call and then asking questions about it, but breaking the sales call video up into five little videos that played for 20 seconds, question, played for 20 seconds, question, to get to what? The mousetrap of the data, right? Okay. We do think about it, right? We're always driving towards an end of how do we collect more information, right? So again, I know we, we don't have a lot of time left, unfortunately. Yeah, no, no, we, we, we got to wrap it up. But this, I think, was extremely helpful just to see one, you know, how the build works, because I think that's important to understand what goes into building it, you know, how, what, what you get out of it, and then what it looks like for the user. So, so I, again, I, I really appreciate you being here. This has been, this has been awesome. And again, I, I think we could probably talk for much longer. We'll definitely have to have you back. Um, and, and yeah, I'll, what, what, okay. So yeah, I, I t even told you this before we started the recording that if people say, Hey, cool, interested or I might just want to learn a little bit more what's the best way do they can they message you directly do they how do they reach out yeah so uh, I'll say it slowly um, I'm Jordan Fladell the, the easiest way to do that is to either a just email me at M level that's my first name and my last name with a period between the two um, at M level come to my LinkedIn profile uh, obviously Chris is going to promote this out this way so you'll get a chance to do that send me a message via LinkedIn um, you know it, it's very much about a conversation uh, to learn more about it um, obviously you know we have a great YouTube site where you can go watch some videos or uh, you can go to our website. But again, I love personal conversations. So please feel free to reach out. I love learning from uh, professionals in the L&D community as much as sharing our technology. So sometimes these calls are mutually beneficial, I would say. Uh, so love to hear from you and love to, and again, thank you, Chris, for having us on. Appreciate it. Looking forward to our next chance to uh, connect. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure.
Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening.